Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. And before I dive in, will you join me in prayer? Dear Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that we get to gather here uh, in person and online. Lord, we thank you for each person that is part of this time we get to experience. Lord, a time where you are working in our lives, speaking to us. So Lord, may we humbly uh, respond to you. Do a unique work in each one of our lives today as we engage in this message you have for us. God, we pray that. And Lord, we thank you that we have this beautiful day to live to wake up this morning, to have life and to have breath and to be able to worship and to be able to experience these moments with you, we thank you, Lord. And yet as we thank you for the day we're having today, our hearts go to a bunch of other people whose day is very different than ours. People who are in Haiti. Lord, you made them, you love them, and that earthquake has just ravaged their land. So many people dead, So many families looking for lost family members, so much hurt, so much pain. And then following all that up with Tropical Storm Grace that just washed over their land and caused even more devastation, Lord, we pray for them. God, may you do a work that only you can do in their lives right now, Lord. Minister your peace, your grace, your hope, and your strength to them. Lord, use us in the process as well. Not only that we would pray for them, but Lord, lead us in how we could respond to financially support uh, efforts there, to serve at Matthew 25, Lord, whatever that is, but God, may we be part of this, your hands, your feet. And Lord, we pray for the people of Afghanistan. Lord, for the U.S. citizens who are still there. Lord, we pray for our troops that are trying to rescue them and take them home. Lord, we pray for wisdom, protection, Lord, that each one would come and be part here again of this wonderful country we get to to live in. So we pray, Lord, for them. And Lord, we pray for the Afghans. Lord, especially the women. Lord, we pray, Lord, for them because they live in a culture that belittles them. And often these women are not treated as valuable, precious, and prized. They are often abused. And so God, in that land right now, in these precious people's lives, call them, draw them. Show them, Lord, who you are. Do a work that only you can do. And again, use us in that process. And Lord, we pray for leaders everywhere. Leaders everywhere, Lord, in in our country here and and militarily and and leaders in other countries. Lord, we pray, Lord, that, uh, Lord, you would speak to them, even if they're not trying to speak to you or hear you. But Lord, that uh, you, through those you have planted there, those who are in government, in places of influence, Lord, that uh, those followers, Lord, that they would hear you, respond to you, and lead in ways that would bring about peace and life. So God, we lay all this before you, knowing that, Lord, sin has, has really impacted our world. Lord, that you have promised a day. When you're going to wash all of that away, there'll be no more mourning or crying or pain. And so, Lord, we look forward to one day with you in heaven. We thank you, Lord, for our time now. Speak to us, we pray, Lord, in your name. Amen. Doubt. You've heard that word before. 
many have experienced it, doubt. I mean, if we're honest, we all have encountered times, moments, seasons of doubt. We have. Uh, Over this pandemic, some people have doubted some things that were said, or they doubt certain leaders. I mean, doubt enters into our world. Sometimes doubt enters in with people we have relationships with, that we, we doubt if we can trust them. And sometimes doubt can be debilitating, but if it's focused in the right way, it can actually serve to deepen our faith. For example, those who doubt can have a lot in common with the boy's father found in Mark chapter 9. He responded to Jesus and he said, I do believe, I do. Help me overcome my unbelief. So if we focus our doubts and we aim them towards Christ, he will respond, he will help us. So doubt can make our faith stronger. But we are to be utilized in all of this. And that's why it's so important as we're talking about this subject today that you and I, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, that we respond in helpful ways whenever we encounter people in our world who are experiencing doubt. The Old Testament tells us this, have mercy on those who doubt. What's been your first response? To be frustrated with them? You know, to debate with them, I don't know. But the Bible says to have mercy on those who doubt. And in the original language, mercy is to show compassion, to help that person who is doubting. And the Bible says someone who shows mercy and compassion to those who doubt, well, they would be considered a safe person. And let's define what I mean by that. A safe person isn't a person that goes about listening to the other person and then being wise about their response. Oh, you should do that. You should see this person, or you should stop thinking that way. No, a safe person is a person who has compassion, who takes the time. They listen to the other person long enough to get to the point where they can say, you know what, I think I'm understanding where you're coming from. I want you to know I care for you. I'm listening. Is there anything more you want to share? I I really, really want to be helpful. See, whenever we're not deemed as a safe person, those who doubt in our lives, well, they'll go to other places, places that may only help them increase their level of doubt. That's popular in our culture. One person said it this way, doubt and disillusionment have become the new form of enlightenment. It somehow sounds more authentic to share our doubt than it is to share our faith with confidence. So there's no doubt about it. Doubt has become popular in our culture. A doubt that asks questions while providing very little solutions has become our current culture's highest state of nirvana. And that's where we come in. The hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We need to be safe people for others to share their doubt with. And that means if we respond too quickly to someone's doubt or respond with some pat answers to someone's doubt, we should doubt if they would ever trust us again. The Old Testament says it this way, the tongue has the power of life and death. Think about that the next time you're wanting to respond to somebody. My tongue has the power of life or it has the power to really hurt that other person. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. I mentioned this before, but salt back in the first century healed wounds. But salt also represented friendship. 
If we had salt between each other, that meant that I can trust you. You can trust me. So a conversation that's seasoned with life and seasoned with salt and friendship and healing is possible then when we speak words of compassion, kindness, care, and mercy. And friends, this is so needed in our culture today. It's so important because unfortunately, due to the various anomalies some people have encountered in their lives, there have been some reasons for people to doubt. And the hard part is this, some of these anomalies come from outside the church and some come from within the church, within the Christian faith. An anomaly, you've heard the word before, but it's an experience that deviates from what is standard, learned, or expected. And so you're going along life and things are going pretty well, but suddenly you hear something you've never heard before and it really jilts you. Or you see something that's hard to take in. Or you experience something yourself that's incredibly hurtful. And where do you go? Where do you turn? In this series, we've talked about those who have been abandoning the Christian faith and they have told us that of the top three anomalies, that have caused people to leave the faith and instead embrace the pathway of deconstruction. Deconstruction, as we said before, is the identification of the constructed elements of one's faith followed by the dismantling of each core belief in order to discern what might be useful, abandoned, or redefined. This is very popular in our culture today on social media. It's the idea that when somebody experiences an anomaly, and there's pain and there's hurt. When those in the faith perhaps didn't respond to them in a way that was helpful, they didn't respond like salt, they didn't respond like life and hope, they went looking for answers elsewhere. And they have sometimes embraced the pathway of deconstruction. And when it comes then to the Bible, they look at the Bible, they say, well, that part's useful then. I can abandon these parts and I can kind of redefine what the Bible says over there to be helpful to me now. And friends, the bottom line is our lack of love sometimes to a person in the midst of their anomaly can cause people to wonder. It can cause them to doubt. It can cause them sometimes to abandon God altogether. And this holds especially true for the anomaly of trauma. Trauma, a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. You see, when someone raised in the Christian faith witnesses their mother's physical abuse by their highly religious father, or is sexually abused themselves by a leader in the church, or loses a loved one through an incredibly tragic event, or somehow experiences a physical health-related setback that they never saw coming, trauma can set in, which causes that person to look for answers wherever they can be found. And as you know, not all answers are helpful. Some answers take you forward. Some answers get you stuck. And some answers cause you to retreat. This leads me to talk about a man named Jairus. One of my favorite uh, encounters in the Bible. You see, in the Gospels, he's this man who suddenly finds himself in the midst of incredible trauma due to his daughter's debilitating sickness. In fact, she is dying very quickly. And so he is experiencing trauma. And so he runs to Jesus with this question. He says, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and live. You see, in the middle of Jairus' trauma, he comes to the only man he had ever heard of who could ever heal anyone. 
And his hope must have risen within him when the Bible says Jesus actually went with him. And so as one step became two and then three and then four, hope begins to emerge even more. But then as you read the account, suddenly hope got stuck. It got stuck because another person who was dealing with her own trauma approached Jesus for a healing as well. And you see, unlike Jairus' daughter, this woman could come to Jesus herself. And so she did. She reached out, touched the hem of his garment, and she was instantly healed. And you think about this, that would have been fine for Jairus. I mean, for him to witness that healing would have only kind of made his face stronger, would have shown him, well, this is the right person to go to. But you have to remember, his daughter's dying. And now what happens next is a really long conversation that Jesus has with others and with this woman and his daughter's dying. In the middle of that situation, Jairus is standing there wondering, why is he making me wait? And this is often how a trauma survivor feels when they're waiting for God to answer. It often feels that someone else is always getting God's attention while they're waiting and quickly losing hope. And so Jairus is frustrated. He's about ready to explode. And the attention of that moment, he wanted to cry out, Jesus, my daughter can't wait. I can't wait. Her mother can't wait. Jesus, we need you and we need you right now. And then it happened. The one thing that sometimes happens, which causes some people to forget God and, and look for answers elsewhere. The well-meaning, but badly timed, thought to be wise counsel from a friend. I mean, just as Jesus was ending his conversation with that woman, some of Jairus' friends walk up to him and they announce, your daughter's dead. And those are hard words for anyone to hear. They're hope-ending words. After all, what good could possibly happen now? And you see, when it comes to trauma, many trauma survivors already feel a certain amount of deadness inside. Their sense of joy is gone. What brought them life seems elusive. And what brought them peace is like shattered like glass. And so the words that another speaks to them in those moments are like life or death. That's exactly where Jairus found himself. He's stunned, he's hurt, he's confused, he's numb. And then things only got worse. They got worse because unfortunately for Jairus, his friends weren't done providing counsel. I mean, having just learned that his daughter was dead, his friends now tell him, so why bother the teacher anymore? Sadly, there are many in our culture who can relate with how Jairus must have felt in that moment. I mean, after experiencing their own anomaly of their own trauma, well-meaning friends or family members came up to them and freely offered their advice. Just forgive them. Move on. God won't give you more than you can handle. And why did you put yourself in that situation anyway? That what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. Have you ever considered what sin you may have in your life that caused that to happen? Oh, good things will come from this. Just wait. And it's after such statements when some people no longer have anything in common with Jairus anymore. Unlike Jairus, they are done with waiting. They are done with listening. And as a result, their hearts and their minds, they have already shifted course while the gateway to destruction beckons them to enter. And so they no longer hear the words. 
that Jesus would say to them words that he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. You see, since they've already altered course, they started believing in something else or someone else because after all, they didn't need to wait very long for their favorite podcast to supply some kind of response. And while the response they heard came in the form of questions that only instilled more doubt, for them at least it felt like some kind of an answer. And so in the midst of everything that they're hearing, they start to think back. They start to think back to what they heard or what they saw or what they experienced. And they start to kind of relive that thing all over again. And they realize the pain that's there. As one woman shared, she said, you're taught that your body belongs to God. Then your dad, then your husband. Your dad protects your virginity. Then you get married and your dad gives you to your husband and your body belongs to him. And then he abused me. Other words have caused people to struggle with intense fear of abandonment. In fact, there are those who would talk about how they were raised in their home or the church they went to, and they constantly talked about the second coming of Christ. And that caused some to live in fear of Christ. One woman shared it this way. I would come home from school, the house would be empty, and I would have a panic attack. I thought that my parents had been raptured and I had been left behind because I was not good enough of a Christian. You see, when a child's raised in a hyper-religious home, it can cause them to run to another home long before God calls them home. In the counseling world, that's given rise to something now known as religious trauma syndrome. It's familiar with the symptoms, it's, uh, the diagnosis of PTSD with a veteran. And there's a wide range of trauma experiences that can bring to the, lead a person to this diagnosis. For example, domestic violence, sexual assault, lack of food or shelter, or some kind of spiritual abuse. In fact, in response to her own religious trauma, one woman stated, I tried to find a version of God I could live with. I just recently realized I don't have to live with it. And the it that she referred to was the notion that God exists or the notion that God cares. So in order to ease her pain, she packed her bags and she walked away from him. Friends, a person's trauma can impact them deeply. I mean, not only emotionally or physically, but spiritually. And I say in light of this, friends, may we not waste the lessons we've learned when we faced our own pain May we always remember what we receive from the Lord in the midst of that trying time in our lives. As Paul wrote, he said, Blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So think back. Maybe for some of you, not that far. What was the greatest comfort you received when you were dealing with your own pain? And whatever it was, I'm guessing it wasn't a random quote provided by a friend, a word of advice that you didn't ask for, or a Bible verse spoken out of context. Whatever comfort you did receive from the Lord, share that with a hurting person in your life. So the Bible says, sometimes God comforts us with his presence, Isaiah 51. Sometimes God comforts us by his word, Psalm 119. And sometimes God comforts us by his people, 2 Corinthians 7. When you're there with that person, take time, 
care. Listen. Listen some more and then maybe offer feedback if asked. If asked. Otherwise, just listen more and pray and pray some more. Because you see, here's the deal. Often the advice we give to another in the moment when they're facing their pain, it helps us to feel like we've done something. But it often doesn't help that other person heal. Remember something else as well. Not everyone is like Jairus. Despite his trauma, despite the misplaced words of his friends, Jairus kept listening to Jesus. He kept responding to Jesus through every step he took with him. In fact, if you go home, I encourage you to do that. Look at Mark chapter 5 or Luke chapter 8 where we read this encounter. You'll see that Jesus responds to Jairus in a way that all of us, I think, should model. After all, just think about this. This is Jesus we're talking about. He is the son of God. He's walking alongside this hurting man. And can you imagine all the helpful things he could have told him along that journey? And even so, did Jesus quote some Old Testament scripture to him as they walked? Did Jesus give Jairus some good advice to consider along the way? Or or did Jesus identify some hidden sin in Jairus' life that if he could just confess that would unlock the door to some healing? Instead, Jesus walked quietly beside Jairus until they finally arrived home. Friends, sometimes all your hurting friend needs is your presence, not your advice. And then Jesus did something else. He corrected Jairus' friends when they got home because their response to Jairus was anything but helpful. You see, sometimes all your hurting friend needs is for you to watch out for them and protect them from well-intentioned people in their lives that still somehow hurt them by their words or their actions. Bottom line, Jesus walked with Jairus and loved him through every single step. And then after addressing all of the commotion in the home, Jesus entered into that home. It was there Jesus entered into that room and he took that little girl by the hand and said, little girl, get up. And the trauma was over. For immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. Think about this, friends. Somewhere out there, or perhaps somewhere in here, is a boy or a girl, a man or a woman, a father or a mother, a grandfather or a grandmother who is longing to get up. Their pain is intense. Their questions abound. And God is right there. So how can we help them hear him? A friend of mine recently wrote me about the trauma they had faced, and they were honest with me. They talked about the fact that their friends in the past hadn't always been that helpful, but then I was really encouraged by what they shared with me now. They wrote, recently I experienced something entirely different from the Christian friends I have now. I was reeling with the news of yet another lifelong diagnosis. When I sat in our small group and talked about how I was feeling, I broke down. One person quietly said, I'm sorry you're going through that. One woman sitting next to me just hugged me so I could put my head on her shoulder and cry. Then no one said anything for several minutes. Finally, someone turned to my husband and asked how he was doing with all of this because it must be really hard for him too. I can't tell you how helpful those responses were for me. You see... Her friends responded to her in the ways that God administered to them in the past. May we do the same. See, may we comfort others with the comfort we have received from God. 
May we comfort others with the comfort we have received from God. Because friends, if we do, they're likely to hear God and not us. And the result will be less doubt and more trust in him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And that means if we do say something to that other person, we're gonna speak words of life. We're gonna speak words of salt, of friendship and healing. But many times it means something else. We're gonna silently and faithfully walk alongside someone and we're gonna love them through every step. Because friends, this is the way of Jesus. And to help take the conversation deeper, I've asked Lydia Hartzler to to join me. You've seen her up here leading singing. You've seen her play the piano. You've seen her do announcements. Well, she actually has a job too. And uh, Lydia's job is to be a professional counselor. She deals with those who are survivors of trauma. And I thought it'd be really helpful to have her here with us. Can we welcome Lydia here in a different capacity here today? So let's start here because every person, they're watching online, those who are here, they may know someone who's really struggling. Like something happened to them, that person is hurting, but that person hasn't really said anything to them, but they still know about it. So how do they respond? How do they show care to that person? So first of all, what you need to understand is that inherent in any trauma is a loss of control. So because that person has experienced control being taken away from them, the last thing that we want to do is do that again um, by pushing in or trying to start a conversation before maybe they're ready for it. So the best thing to do is to just say, listen, I know that you've been going through some stuff and the door is open if you want to ever talk to me about it and then you just leave it there. It's also important to remember that you might hear some things that maybe you're not ready for. When people start talking about their traumatic experiences, it can be really difficult to sit with and to have that knowledge yourself. So you need to make sure that you're ready for that, um, to have that compassionate mindset. Compassion actually means to suffer with a person. So if you're not in a place where you're ready and you're okay to have that compassionate mindset, it's fine. It's not a reflection on you. It's not a bad thing. It's just a recognition of where you are and that you're not in a space where you can hear that. But if you do open that door, be ready to have that mindset. And how about the person who's, you know, they're driving in their car one day and they get a random phone call or somebody at work walks up to them and says, hey, can I have a minute? Can I share something with you? And you go to a desk and and suddenly they are the recipients of that other person's trust. Like they come and they share something that's really weighty, something they've been struggling with. And now you just heard this. How do you respond in that moment? Because maybe you weren't even prepared to hear what you just heard. Well, it's important to remember that not all trauma is about abuse. 
but the ones that are the most difficult to talk about will have abuse in them. And with any abuse is an attack against someone's personhood. So it takes a ton of courage for someone to be willing to talk about that to another person because they're actually making themselves vulnerable and exposing themselves to another attack. So remember what it took for them to even bring this up to you. Um, Because of that, less is more. You really probably don't need to say much of anything. Um, This is not the time to be an investigator. You're not there to figure out if their story is true or if they did something they should never, if they handled it the right way or whatever. Um, You need to just maybe not say anything. If you do say anything, maybe just say, I'm really sorry that that happened to you. Um, Silence is healing because it provides space for a person. And for someone who has had their personhood attacked, for someone who has been made to feel not like a person, to have someone create space for them where they can be acknowledged as a person is really one of the best things for them. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Now, there might be people watching, people here right now that um, they have a coworker, maybe a boss, uh, somebody that they know that has has gone through trauma. They're still working through it and that they work with that person or maybe they live with that person. And suddenly as they're talking to them, it seems like out of nowhere will come anger, uh, the words, hurtful words spoken to them that seems pretty personal. It also seems surprising. So what's going on there and how, how can they respond I believe education is one of the best things to give people. I could spend hours (laughs) educating about this, and I do with with people that I see with trauma. I spend weeks, hours talking to them about what's going on. What you need to understand is that people who have been through trauma, their brain is literally working differently. Trauma is a disconnector. It degrades the connections between the different parts of the brain so that their brain does not function as well as someone who has recovered from their trauma or who hasn't experienced trauma. Um, Their nervous system is in survival mode. Um, It's not about you. They're not actually reacting to you at all. They're reacting to their past They're reacting to what they learned to do in order to survive. Their system learned to always be on, always be in fight, flight, freeze mode because that was what made it so they could survive the situation that they were in. So remember that when you're sitting there, um, normal's relative. It seems weird to you. It seems abnormal to you, but it's not to them. That is their normal. That's what they learned to do, and they're still reacting out of what they were trained into. Okay. So as you're remembering that, and it's helpful to you know maybe not speak back or not retaliate um, or not break off the you know the relationship because of what just happened there. How can you love that person well? 
given that situation and, and love them well, not just then, but, but moving forward? Because that could be a fracture for, for many relationships when that happens. Yeah, the best thing to do is to stay calm. Um, maybe do give it a little bit of space. Um, if they're reacting angrily, remember what's going on. Remember that it's not, they're not looking at you. They maybe don't even see you in that moment. Um, breathe, give it a second. Um, wait for them to kind of calm down. If they're reacting fearfully, breathe. <laughs> uh, wait for them to maybe kind of come back to where you are. Um, if anything, ask, do you need anything from me right now? Because again, it creates space. It reminds them that they're in control in the moment. There's no danger here because a lot of times their system is, is reacting to what perceives as danger, even if there isn't any, they think there is. So we just give them space and is there anything you need from me? And if it's nothing, that's fine. If it's something, as calmly as you can. Yeah. Thank you. Now, we began the message by praying for those who have experienced trauma out in the world. We talk about Haiti and Afghanistan and other places. We've talked about how we can respond better to others who are hurting and have experienced trauma in their own lives. And yet, there's another group of people who've actually experienced trauma themselves. They might be watching, they're here right now. It's been hard, it's been lonely. And I'm just wondering if you could pray for them right now. Yes, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are, for your nature, that of a father who cares for us so deeply, who wants to draw us in and, and draw us into your arms and into your love. Thank you that we are never left alone. We're never isolated when we're your children, that we always have you to turn to. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit who comes to us, who comforts us, who helps us. God, I pray for those here who um, this was a difficult thing to listen to because it reminded them of something that they've experienced. It, it stirred something up inside them. Lord, I just pray that you would wrap them in your arms and give them your peace. God, I pray that if something has been stirred up, that you would give them wisdom, discernment to know how to handle it, whether they need to talk to a family member or a friend about it, whether they need to go and get help or whether they just need to come to you and lay it at your feet and ask for you to cover it and heal it because we know that's what you long to do. You, you want us to be whole and healed. That's what you came for, Jesus. And God, I pray for all of those who may be around those people who are hurting, that you would also give them wisdom, that we would all be able to follow the example that you set for us, Jesus, in your name. Amen. 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 Will you stand with us here? You're about ready to go back out into the world. You're going to face the people that you uh, work with tomorrow, maybe even today. You're going to see family members. You're going to see neighbors in a little while. I think it's important for us to remember that many of us are tired. 
uh, the past year, year and a half uh, with COVID hasn't been easy. There's been so many changes to everything and it makes people a little less caring sometimes, a little less compassionate. But let's remember who we are. We've been called by God. We are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to a hurting world. So as you go, may the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes. The love of God be reflected in your hands. And the wisdom of God be reflected in your words. So that all may see, be healed, and believe. Let's go and be Jesus. Let's be salt to our world. See you next weekend. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.